close now to the end. We've been following Joseph and his life and how God used this man after going through much trial and through much suffering, much tribulation, the Lord God, Jehovah, was with him in every season. From being the spoiled child of 12 brothers, of 12 children, him just being blessed by his father with this long coat of many colors, and so spoiled that his other brothers became so jealous and so hateful of how his father treated him that they devised a plot to murder him. They devised a plot to kill him, to throw him in a pit. And their two of the brothers, out of some conviction, out of some empathy for their brother said, let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. Throw him into a pit. And that's exactly what they did. And they lied to their father, Jacob. They told him that he was eaten by some ravenous beast. They dipped the coat of many colors in blood and brought it to their father and said, father, is this Joseph's coat? And their father was torn apart with sorrow. But in the reality, Joseph was taken as a slave to Egypt by the Midianites and sold to Potiphar. And even throughout this, the Bible has this theme for Joseph's life that wherever he went, God was with him. When Joseph was just a young man, he dreamed of greatness. God gave him these dreams that the stars would come before him, which were representative of his family and that they would bow down to him. And his father pondered these dreams. And I'm sure Joseph, now a slave, perhaps thought these dreams would never come to reality. But God's promises never fail. And with Joseph, as he was now in this position as a slave in Potiphar's household, even there God blessed him and helped him to succeed, to grow. And Potiphar made him top of his household. He trusted him so much, he left everything into his care. But Potiphar's wife, cast longing eyes on Joseph. Her lust caused her to try to seduce him and tempt him into having an affair. And Joseph, when he declined day after day these persistent requests from her, was finally trapped in a situation that she had plotted and set up where she would be alone with him. Everyone out of the household grabbed him by his garment and said, come lie with me. And Joseph, though he was a young man full of just vigor and vitality and 
urges said, no, I'm not going to commit this sin against the Lord. And he fled. He ran out naked because she pulled the very cloth off of his clothes and he ran out and she held it in his garment and she used that very garment which Joseph left righteously. She used unrighteously to blame him for rape, to bring accusation against him. And so Joseph was then thrown into the pit, into the dungeon by Potiphar. And it was there now in captivity that he spent 13 years from the time that he was sold as a slave to the time being in the pit. There was 13 years that went by. And still God was with him. That constant theme. God is with us in every season. And it was in the pit when he came across as he was succeeding now that he was a captain of the guard in the dungeons, in the prisons, that two men, a butler and a baker, came to him with these dreams. And as Joseph interpreted them, one for the the butler that he would be raised up back out of jail to be there near Pharaoh and the baker that he would actually stand trial and execution. And both of these interpretations which Joseph had came to pass. And then some years later, finally, Joseph was remembered by the butler. Pharaoh had that dream of the, the famines that were going to come on the land, but he could not interpret them. He didn't know what the dreams meant. So Joseph was then summoned out of the prison, told Pharaoh the interpretation of his dreams. And Pharaoh said, man, who like a man like this in whom is filled the spirit of God like him? Let's put him in charge now. Made him second in command so that he can then orchestrate the preservation of Egypt with seven years of famine that was prophesied through this dream, Joseph would take out of that seven, before that, the previous seven years of good agriculture, he would save all that food and preserve Egypt through seven years of famine. And as we read last week, as this is happening, the famine comes. And Joseph's brothers back home in Canaan, his 11 brothers, his father Jacob, were now hungry for food. So they sent their brothers. They said, all right, let's go to Egypt. We hear there's food there. And he went, they went, all of them, except for Benjamin, if you remember. Benjamin was left behind because their father loved Benjamin so dearly. He was the youngest of all of them. And he was from the same wife who had Joseph as a son. So his father would not let Benjamin go. And all his brothers came before now who is Joseph in disguise. And Joseph, realizing 
that his brothers are there before him and they don't even recognize him, decides now to test the hearts of his brothers. So he told them, you guys are spies. You've come here to take the fat of the land. And they're like, we're not spies. We're, we're good, honest men. And Joseph said, no, you guys are spies. And if you want to prove your point, go bring back this brother that you speak of, that you've mentioned, this youngest brother that you have. Bring him to me, and then I will know that you guys are not lying, and I will let you go. But until then, I'm going to keep Simeon here in the jail. Now, I, I see Joseph struggling emotionally with all these emotions of his past hurt. And he even had to get away for a moment so that he can cry. Just overwhelmed with emotion. Finding out that his family is still alive, that his father is still alive asking about his younger brother from his mother. So his brothers then leave and they go back and they live, leave Simeon there in the prison. And it's at this point that they tell their father, look, the man over in Egypt, this tough, mean guy kept Simeon and he wants us to bring back Benjamin to prove that we weren't lying and that we're honest men. But Jacob says, no, I'm not going to let you take Benjamin. I've already lost Joseph. He was killed. Why would I let you take my other son, Benjamin? If Benjamin dies, I'll surely have sorrow bring me to the grave. And this is where we pick up now in our account of Genesis. So let us begin in Genesis chapter 43. And if uh, I wasn't so big on notes, but I am big on notes. If I wasn't so big on notes, I would tell you guys to grab your popcorn because we're about to witness like this great cinematic movie almost. But I would prefer that you guys take notes. And if you haven't started taking notes during Bible studies, get, get your pen, get a notepad, and let the Lord just speak to you. But let's begin now with verse 1 of chapter 43. Now the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass, when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. But Judah spoke to them, saying, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. So their father, Jacob, is saying, look, guys, go get the food. And they're reminding their father, hey, that guy was mean. We can't go without Benjamin. He said that we're not even going to be able to see his face unless Benjamin is there, so we're not going to go. And then in verse 6, And Israel said, Why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you still had another brother? But they said, 
the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words, could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? So I'm imagining now this scene between the father and it's like, they're starving. They need food. He's like, go. And they're like, we, we can't go without Benjamin. He's just like, oh, why did you do this to me? Why did you have to tell him that we had another brother? Why would you say that? And they're like, how are we supposed to know that he was going to say that? And this arguing back and forth going on, almost quite comical in the moment, but still not without its trials. In verse 8, Then Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned this second time. So Judah here, he's taking that, that step as this, this brother saying, look, perhaps filled with conviction, send Benjamin with us. And I swear to you, Father, I'm not going to come back empty-handed. I will return him, and he's now putting his own life on the line. He will blame, bear the blame forever, he's saying. And what's interesting, he's saying, look, if we wouldn't have lingered here, we would have already been back. Which tells me that Simeon has been now in prison for quite some time. And then in verse 11, And their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double money in your hand. And take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. If you remember when they came back from their journey, after Joseph had given them some grain, he put their money back in all of their sacks. So when they got back, it was kind of like that moment when you go grocery shopping and you get back in your car and you look in your wallet and you, you realize that the cashier didn't take any of your money. You're like, oh, snap. I'm like, I, I didn't pay for that item. I pray to God you take that money back. But they had that moment with Joseph now, this second in command in Egypt, where they got home and they realized all their money was right there next to the grain and they were like, oh my gosh, like he's going to kill us. What is this evil now that is brought before us? And their father is saying, look, now go with that money and even double it just in case. So he says in verse 13, take your brother also, arise, go back to the man, and may God Almighty give you mercy before the man, that he may release your brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. Now, 
these pistachio nuts, these fruits that he's sending their brother, the money, all of this does remind me of Israel and Jacob, the same man, Jacob's ways of trying to control situations. You see, Jacob was a man who struggled with being a manipulator, really, of moving the chess pieces in his life so that he can get things done the way he wants them to be done. And here now, even as an old man, he is not even realizing what God is really doing in this situation. He's thinking, man, I'm about to lose my sons. Not, really, not realizing that Joseph, his very son, whom he thinks is dead, is actually preparing a way to have the families reunite. And I'm reminded to trust God in our doings, to trust God as we are doing ministry and work and thanksgiving, to leave things in God's hands. And not to try to do things to manipulate, but to do things unto the Lord. To do, do things with Christ living in us and through us. So that they're things that are filled with the Spirit rather than ourselves. Influenced and inspired by the Holy Spirit rather than our flesh. And then in verse 15, so the men took that present and Benjamin and they took double money in their hand and arose and went down to Egypt and they stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of the, his house, take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready for these men will dine with me at noon. Then the man did as Joseph ordered and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house and they said, it is because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may make a case against us and seize us to take us as slaves with our donkeys. So now instead of meeting at the granary where all the grain was traded, Joseph, once he sees his brother, Benjamin, says, okay, he gets his servants, look, I want you to take them to the house, slaughter the animals, we're going to have a party. We're going to have a celebration. And his brothers are then invited into the house, and in their mind, they're thinking like, oh, snap, where he's taking us now to inside, and this is where, this is where we're going to get X right here. They're all scared. And then in verse 19, when they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food, but it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack. Our money in full weight so we brought it back in our hand, and we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. So 
Here it is, the confession. They say, look, look, there was a mistake. There's something wrong. We don't know how the money got there. And then he says in verse 23, but he said, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Wow. You know, though Joseph was the one responsible for the money being in their sacks and he's testing them. One thing I do notice is even in this role that he's playing, as he's acting in front of them in disguise, he does remind me of how we sometimes feel when we come to God that we need to buy his love or buy his grace, buy his mercy. We've messed up and we're coming with our, our God, but I'm so sorry. Like, just take this worship, take this prayer, take this time of devotion as an offering so that you can forget about the past things and, and you can just love me and we could have this love relationship. And that's not how God works at all. God simply has this desire to have this relationship, this love relationship, despite our past mistakes. He doesn't need us to work our way up to salvation or to work our way up to his good graces. He says, peace be with you. I don't need your money. I just want to love you. You see, Joseph is often illustrated as a type of Jesus. Joseph is betrayed by his brothers, as Jesus was also betrayed by his brethren. Not accepted by his brothers, as Jesus was not accepted by the Jewish people. Thrown into the pit, Joseph was, and Jesus, too, was thrown into hell. He went into hell, and then on that third day, resurrected. And in that same manner, Joseph was taken out of the pit and put second in command in Egypt. And Joseph, what we see is that all of that was done so that he can save his family, save Egypt, the world, just as, Je as Jesus died, was crucified and resurrected so that we can have salvation, so that his brothers, the Jews, can also have salvation. And Joseph here, he's continuing in this role that he's playing. He says this in verse 24. So the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water. And they washed their feet. And he gave their donkeys feed. Notice how he washes the feet and has the servants wash the feet, just like Jesus washed feet. In verse 25, then they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they would eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present, which was in their hand into the house and bowed down before him to the earth. Then he asked them about their well-being and said, is your father well? 
The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they answered your servant, Our father is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. Meaning they laid out before him. So notice how Joseph is still inquiring, how is the father doing? How is their father doing? Because he knows that's his dad. And then in verse 29, then he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and wept there. Then he had washed his face and came out and he restrained himself and said, serve the bread. Notice Joseph's going through this roller coasters of emotion. He sees his younger brother, Joseph, I'm sorry, Benjamin, who he has not seen since Benjamin was about three or two years old. And Joseph, being a, a teenager when he was taken, would have had that love for his younger brother, not seeing him, not even knowing what he would grow up to look like, and now seeing him just overwhelmed with emotion, this is my brother, my father's still alive, and all the thoughts of what he perhaps missed out on in growing up, came rushing in. So because of this, he has to get away and hide himself and wash up and get himself ready to go back out there and to pretend to be someone who's not their brother. He says, serve the bread. In verse 32, so they set him a place by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. Then he took servings to them from before him. But Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. Now notice as the Egyptians and the Hebrews are separated here, yet they're still having communion, this breaking of bread, so to speak. And then notice how he specifically has them seated now from the oldest to the youngest brother in position without them having told Joseph who was the youngest and who was the oldest. So as they sit down and they take their seats, they're realizing, wait a second, like, how is this possible that they would seat us in the exact order of our age? And then Benjamin gets the most out of all the brothers, perhaps as a way to test the hearts of his brothers. You see, first of all, they had to bring Benjamin there. If they were still bitter about 
Benjamin being the youngest, perhaps being spoiled still. Maybe they wouldn't have brought Benjamin. Maybe they would have been callous towards the whole situation. And then now as Benjamin is being blessed, perhaps he's watching to see if they find if he finds any envy in their hearts and their minds as Benjamin is getting blessed. But it says that they were merry with him. See, there's no more bitterness towards their younger brother. And then in chapter 44, it says, And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his grain money. Uh Uh-oh, so here's a plot now. He's saying, look, fill each man's sack, but unbeknownst to the brothers, he says, take this cup that I have and put it in Benjamin's grain. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. Verse three, as soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. When they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, Get up and follow the men. And when you have overtaken them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. That phrase sticks out to me. At the end of verse 4, Why have you repaid evil for good? First of all, we shouldn't repay evil for good. But second of all, it brings to my mind the fact that though their brothers committed evil against Joseph long ago, God turned it for good. God took their evil and repaid it for good. That's the awesome thing that we have as believers. That no matter what situation is happening, God works all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The non-believer doesn't have that promise. But if there's a non-believer who then becomes a believer, suddenly that promise belongs to them. So all the trials and the evil that was laying behind them in their past, God will use for good. And in verse six, it says, so he overtook them and spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do a thing, such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan, the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die. And we also will be my Lord's slaves. So now here's a bold way to defend themselves. They say, what do you mean? First of all, the money that we thought we stole, we brought back to you. And if any one of us has dare taken this cup that you say, then let him die and we will become your slaves. 
And perhaps the guy who came with the message was like, whoa, I didn't even say that part. And he's like, all right. In verse 10, and he said, now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it shall be found shall be my slave and you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack. So he searched. He began with the oldest and left off with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. Ooh, what a dramatic point where they're saying so bold, like we wouldn't have done that. None of us would have done this. And they each drop their sacks on the floor. They say, search our bags. And he goes ahead and starts going one by one. And I'm thinking he knowingly, knowing that the cup is in Benjamin's sack, almost for suspense is like, all right, this one, not there. This one goes through all 12 of the brothers until finally when they think, all right, this is the last one. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. Boom. Hits him with that, that silver chalice. They're like, <gasps> and then verse 14. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there. And they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, What deed is this you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? Now this divination, which it's talking about, just to be clear, it's an Egyptian practice that they would use of finding out the future. And many times they would use instruments and vessels to do such thing. And at this point, Joseph here is really taking on this character role of the Egyptian, practicing divination. And then in verse 16, Then Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should not do so, that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go in peace to your father. So here again, Joseph testing how far these brothers really love their brother to see if they're just going to leave their brother Benjamin here. Then he'll see like, oh, maybe they haven't changed. He's saying, look, no, you guys can go. I'm not going to keep all you guys my slave. I'm just going to keep the man in whom we found the silver cup. He will be my slave, but you guys return to your father. Testing again to see how they're going to respond now when Benjamin is in danger. Verse 18, then Judah came near to him and said, oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing and do not let your anger burn against your servant. For you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, who is young, 
His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face no more. So it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down for we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. So he's continuing on, just retelling the whole story, really, of how it all went down, really trying to plead his case here. And then in verse 27, Then your servant my father said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me. And I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. After verse 29, Joseph realizes that his father thinks he was torn to pieces by some beast. Joseph realizes that his father doesn't know he's still alive. And this, I'm sure, is an emotional roller coaster for Joseph as he's hearing the truth about Judah and about who Judah is become. Now, unbeknownst to Joseph, Judah went, himself went through a season of leaving his family after the selling of Joseph into slavery, and he went and began to marry pagan wives. And then he went after his flesh for a season. And after his his wife died, he ends up sleeping with, unbeknownst to him, his daughter-in-law, who he thought was a prostitute. And Judah himself is goes through his own trials that God takes him through. And he has to learn his own lessons. But now we see a different Judah here. We see a Judah who is putting his life on the line for his younger brother for his family, for his father. Judah is a man who who has grown. And then in verse 30, Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? Lest perhaps I see the evil 
that would come upon my father. So really stepping in and saying, take me, let Benjamin go. I do not want to see my father go through any more suffering because of me. Chapter 45. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. When he first told them, they were so in disbelief, they didn't understand what was happening. And then he says, come near as there's weeping going on. Verse five, but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land. And there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Joseph here has an amazing insight on his life, realizing that God had prepared him, that it was God's plan the whole time for Joseph to go through all those trials that he went through, that he suffered, in order so that he can preserve not only the land of Egypt, but his family, so that they could have children, in verse 9, hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. For there are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen. And you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Wow. He's telling them, look, 
God meant this for good. And not only that, but why don't you go get your father, get your family, the rest of your family, and come to the land of Egypt where there's food. And I'm going to provide for you. Again, I'm seeing how Jesus is better than Joseph, but Joseph is in a, in a way like Jesus in the fact that Jesus is preparing this amazing future, this eternal kingdom for us. And he, though we've went through so much suffering and tears, there is prepared before us a place where we will be without sorrow, without weeping, without pain anymore. So much so that we will forget the pain that we previously experienced. And we look forward to this. And then in verse 16, now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Wow. He's just full on blessing them. Though there's a time of famine, Joseph is just blessing them over and abundantly. And that's what God can do in our, our lives. Sometimes we feel like the entire evil of the world all these evils are coming against me like like Jacob said when he found out that Simeon was left in jail so all these things are against me and sometimes we feel like we're in that season of famine that desert but God is with us and God does desire to take us to a place where we are fulfilled by him fully completely trusting in him that he has prepared for us an eternal reward and not looking at this life as our home but unto the kingdom. This is not our home. In heaven, we're not going to be worried about coronavirus. We're not going to be worried about who's president. We're not going to be worried about all these things in life that trouble us. We're going to be looking to Jesus, our King, walking with him, eating of his table, being fulfilled, worshiping. This is the promise we have. Verse 21 as the cinematic story concludes, then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. 
he gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent to his father these things, ten donkeys loaded with the goods, things of Egypt, ten female donkeys loaded with grain, with bread, and food for his father for the journeys. So he sent his brothers away, and they departed, and he said to them, See that you do not become troubled along the way. I want to point out that Jacob, Israel, he was trying to bless Joseph by sending forth the pistachio nuts and the fruits. Pistachio nuts are pretty good too. And the fruits and all those other things. And Joseph ends up blessing him over and abundantly, way more than what Jacob had given him. And that's what God does in our life. When we give to God, he blesses us way more. We can't outgive God. We can't. When you are doing something for the Lord, when it's for God, you're not going to be disappointed. God always is over and abundant in blessing us. And I'm not speaking that he's going to give you money or financial gain every time. Sometimes it is, but other times it's the goodness of this life, the good things that God blesses us with. Verse 25, Then they went up out of Egypt, and came to the land of Canaan, to Jacob their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. Then Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. I feel like that's like, dun, 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 like the end of this awesome movie that we just kind of witnessed. A true account of how God is sovereign over the lives of his children. May you remember that this Christmas and Thanksgiving holiday. May you remember that God is in control of your life. Ask God what he wants to do, how he wants to use you, where he desires that you go. Know that all things work together for good and see that God is with us in every place. Now may you go forward this week Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Share with others the story of Joseph. Share with people how what man means for evil, God uses for good in the life of his children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. May you go before us, Lord, in thanksgiving. Keep us safe. May we be filled with your spirit. We love you, Father. May your sovereignty reign in our hearts and our minds. Not fear, not anxiety, not a workspace relationship, 
but may we just come to you in simple love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, have a happy Thanksgiving. Check out our uh, latest podcast. We're just going to upload it uh, tomorrow morning. So we love you guys. Continuing to pray for you. We'll see you Sunday morning. Um, and uh, we're going to have some time of fellowship on Sunday. We're still meeting in my backyard, out in the, the open with masks. Continue to pray for one another. I'll see ya. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns. From heaven above with wisdom, power, and love, our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God, He raised from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love, our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God, He raised from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God.